0: doing work they love for better clients. Just a quick reminder that you can find detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 174. And those notes include a summary of our discussion as well as any links to resources we mentioned during the show. I am super excited to share this episode with you today because it's a classic illustration of a strategy that I talk about often. But I don't feel a lot of people take seriously or they're not really comfortable with the idea or even sure what to do. And this idea and the strategy is all about going deeper with existing clients. I find that many writers get into this order-taking mindset and rarely ask their clients how they can continue to help them. Or even better, I, I rarely see writers brainstorm ideas for how they could help their clients and present those ideas to their, their client and, and show the value when presenting those ideas. So my guest today is Lindy Alexander. She is a talented writer from Australia, a super, super nice lady, who has really an amazing story here. Uh, Lindy started her freelance writing business as a side hustle back in late 2011. And she went full-time in 2017. By the end of that year, 2017, she grows more than $100,000 in income. Now, that in and of itself is pretty remarkable. What's even more remarkable, though, is that in 2018, she scaled back her hours to a part time level. And get this, she was able to maintain that same $100,000 plus income level. Her secret is that there, well, there are really a few elements to her strategy. And I'm going to let her tell you all about it. But for the most part, She started going deep with her clients, her existing clients, while also reigniting and nurturing her professional relationships in a very strategic, organic, and a very authentic way. This is an amazing story I think you're really going to enjoy, regardless of where you are in your journey. So let's get going. Lindy, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you.
1: Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, the pleasure is all mine, I can assure you. And um, before we get to the meat, you're a longtime podcast listener yourself. You know what I always start with is a little bit about your background. So would you mind taking a minute and just telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, the work you do, the clients you work with, uh, that sort of thing?
1: yeah sure so i'm a freelance writer and i'm based just outside of melbourne in australia and i write for magazines and newspapers and digital outlets about all the good things in life like travel and food and lifestyle issues but i also write for companies and businesses on topics like finance and health and recruitment and education so i have really two parts to the writing that i do And I haven't always been a writer. I started my working life as a social worker, and I did that for 10 years. And then when I was pregnant with my first child seven years ago, I did a short online course in feature writing. And within a couple of weeks of finishing that course, I had an article published. I had some money in my bank account. And I thought, my goodness, there are people out there who are going to pay me for my words. And so that started me on my journey to being a freelance writer.
0: Wow, what it's so magical, <laughs> right? When you first, when you get that first check, yes, the amount doesn't really matter. It's just like, wow, somebody paid me for this.
1: Yes, well, I think it legitimizes you and your skills and putting yourself out there because it is a scary thing to, for me, to pitch to an editor with an idea for a story and to have that accepted, and so then to be commissioned and to receive payment. So that is a big thing. I'm not sure how my path would have unfolded if I, if I hadn't been successful so early on. But I'm really grateful that I have been.
0: And tell me again when that was, when, when that uh, first check came in.
1: That was the end of 2011.
0: Okay. So yeah, not too long ago. And, and who was the, the client?
1: Uh, It was for, because I was living in this parenting bubble, being pregnant and expecting my first child, I was writing for a parenting website, an Australian parenting website.
0: Interesting. Okay. Now, I'm curious, did that lead to some other work with them or some similar publications?
1: Yeah. So, I… I never then had visions of becoming a full-time freelancer from that. I just was astounded that someone would pay me for my words and I was hooked. You know, you get that bit of adrenaline when someone says yes and then you see your writing in print or online. And so I, I wrote for them for a little bit and that was very much me pitching ideas to them and them either coming back with a yes or a no, whether they were interested. I still very much stayed within that parenting sphere and then started to branch out using my social work background in health and education and still writing. I still wanted to see my byline in print publications. And so I had a few kind of target publications that I wanted to get published in and I went after those and pitched those editors
0: So yeah, and and that's wonderful because then it wasn't the kind of thing that you got excited about, but then you felt like it was a fluke because it was a one-time thing. You, you started pitching other ideas, you started getting more business and then it started growing. So you continue to be encouraged, right? That this is, this thing was real, Not, not, not an accident. Um, so let, let's kind of fast forward a little bit, um, You started working full-time as a freelance writer, I believe, in 2017. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. And what I find amazing is that by the end of that year, you had over $100,000 of work commissioned. Uh, So I'm curious, how did you do that? I mean, I know you started in 2011. Seems like this was kind of a very gradual um, growth. But by the time you went full-time, I'm curious, like where were you right before you went full-time? So how big was the increase? And how yes. were you able to get to that level so quickly?
1: Okay, it, it was a huge increase. So, um, so I'll give you a bit of background is so I've been doing it as a side hustle up until 20 well the end of 2016 and I'd never thought about where it might lead me like I said before I never really had a vision of becoming a full-time freelancer because people had said to me how difficult it is right you hear about the starving artist mentality and you hear about especially within the newsstand side of things about how publications are closing rates haven't changed there's more freelancers on the scene and so So I just took all of that in and never questioned it, so assumed that I couldn't really ever make a good living from being a freelance writer. But as time went on, I started to build relationships with editors and clients, and I was getting a bit busier. So at that time, I was at home looking after my kids. I was finishing a PhD. I was doing a little bit of social work, and I had this writing side hustle that I would work on in the evenings and on weekends, and suddenly the writing that's the thing that I looked forward to out of the work that I was doing. And I did start to wonder, could I do this? And so I, it was a couple of your episodes, actually, Ed. It was one of your episodes with Jennifer Gregory and another one with Kate Kordsmeyer talking about how they had earned really good money from writing that made me think, if other people are doing this, maybe I can too. It really emboldened me. Um, and so by the end of 2016, my partner and I had been having lots of conversations about it and he said to me, you have to try, you have to see if you can make a living from writing. And so he became house husband for a year and so it was his job in 2017 to cook and clean and look after our two kids and my responsibility was to bring home all the bacon. Um, and so I did that by a number, by doing a number of things. So at the end of 2016, I kind of sat down and looked at where I was at. The most I had earned in any kind of month was maybe $2,000 or $3,000. So I didn't have enough to um, continue on in that way and still be able to pay our mortgage and do all the things we needed to do as a family. So I knew I really had to ramp up uh, my earnings. So the first thing that I did was make sure that I had a financial buffer because when you're freelancing especially when you're writing for magazines and newspapers. It's like you're living in the past because you might pitch an idea for a story and then you might not hear back whether the editor is interested. You might get the commission, so they might say, yes, go ahead. You write it, then you submit it. It might come back with edits or requests for edits, and then it might go for publication. And often for those print, especially print publications, you don't get paid until... It's on the newsstand. And so from, and sometimes you don't get paid for up to 60 days after publication. So you can be waiting six or eight months without getting paid. And so I knew it was crucial for me to have a financial buffer so that I could pay myself every fortnight, regardless of whether I had $200 coming in that week or $2,000 coming in. So that was the first thing that I did. I also set myself an income target. So I knew what I had to make each month to cover um, all our living. But I also knew what I wanted to. And I didn't really tell anybody. I mean, I told my partner, but I don't think I told anybody else that I had this aspiration of making $100,000, you know, to become the kind of six-figure freelancer. And I got, I totally got sucked into that idea of being a six-figure freelancer. And that felt like a huge stretch to me. Um, I didn't know many people earning that much money or that spoke about it. And I definitely didn't know any writers, Australian writers who were earning that kind of money. So what I did was I made a simple Excel spreadsheet. Um, oh, and you can actually download that from my website. So I've got a simple Excel spreadsheet that you that I put in all, all of my commissions. So I would write down the publication, or the corporate client, and then the amount. And I would set myself a target at the start of each month. Um, And at the start of January in 2017, I put down $9,000, which just seemed outrageous to me that I would put down such an incredible figure. But what really happened for me then was realizing that when I put down that amount of what I wanted to hit by the end of the month, I realized that getting paid $75 an article or $200 an article that took me maybe five, six hours, it just wasn't gonna work. And so I had to start looking for bigger jobs, higher paying jobs and developing relationships. And so that's probably the um, the third thing that I did in terms of ramping up my income was I really focused a lot on relationships. Um, one of the things that I did was I looked at the existing relationships I had with editors and clients and I wondered if there was an opportunity there for more work. So sometimes I asked them, are you looking for people to take on more work because I'm going full-time next year and I'm going to have that capacity? But something else I did was one of the magazines that I write for, um, so I had written a few times for the monthly magazine in Australia. I noticed that they were just about to... Launch a uh, insert in one of the weekend newspapers, and I contacted my editor and said, Are you going to be editing the insert or is there a new editor? And she said to me, Oh, no, there's a new editor, let me introduce you. She, so she sent me this email introduction to the new editor, and then he um, commissioned me. He was there for 18 months and he commissioned me at least once a month to write an article for him. So there I had within the same masthead, if you like, but two different editors. And I had this internal um, kind of reference, if you like, mm-hmm. that really helped me and diversified my income. But I felt like I was writing for two, two different people. And then through that, I also now write for their online site. So I'm writing for three editors across that one publication brand. And that has been a better use of my time and a much more um, – economical way to use my time to build deeper relationships within one publication or one company.
0: Sure. So what you essentially did was you went deeper into that organization, right? You are yes. you had one relationship at first and you asked about other possibilities. You got introduced to somebody else. You got hired there and then it sounds like you ended up with a third or fourth one and you're able to now, um, be, I'm assuming because you, how, how long have you been doing work for, for these guys?
1: Oh, probably, I reckon now I've probably been doing it three years.
0: Three years, Very right? Nice. So you know their stuff really well. You know how they work, sure. you know how they operate, uh, you know the expectations. So I'm assuming you're able to maybe keep the fees the same, maybe even go up a little bit, but then your your time and effort going into each one has gone down. Is that is that an accurate exactly. assumption?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So I know their tone and their style and they know that they can trust me with getting their brand right, but exactly what you said, they often are coming to me now, so I'm not often having to pitch so they're coming to me so that saves me time and because I know what they're after I can do that work really quickly and so um, if I get a paid a per word rate or I get paid a project rate for an article actually it works out as a really high hourly rate because I'm able to do that very quickly.
0: Love that. Yeah. Your internal hourly rate goes, goes way, way up. Um, so this is, uh, this relationship is continued. What percentage of your income would you say this or total organization represents?
1: So in 2017, I earned $30,000 from them and I haven't run the figures for last year, 2018, but I think it would be a similar amount. So it's a, it's a decent proportion and I, I think it's really important to have those different relationships within the organisation. And look, of course, if that publication goes down, those editors are going to go down too. But I do feel that you're kind of steadying your ship a little bit by having different contacts within one organisation. So if one person moves on and editors, they do all the time, there's a bit of a um, revolving door that you have other people within that organization that you're not needing to start fresh every time.
0: Absolutely. I love when my clients leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> I usually stay with the, uh, the original client and then I gain a new client a couple of months later. Um, yes. so that's wonderful. Uh, all right. So you were, uh, you expanded, you, uh, leveraged the relationships you already had. I think it was smart that you, um, looked for other opportunities, presented ideas and, and asked, A lot of people don't have the courage to do those things. I'm assuming that either you just had it because that's just how you are, or because of your goals, um, Mm -hmm. that was the motivator to hey, I got to start knocking on some doors. I got to see you know turn some rocks and see what I can find. Is that is that accurate?
1: It is. I think that income that income goal really drove me. As did the fear that we weren't going to be able to meet our that i wasn't going to be able to meet our target and that i would let let our family down and so i felt incredibly motivated to make good money in my first year of full-time freelancing i am not someone who naturally feels very comfortable asking people for things or putting myself out there and that's why i love that now writing a lot of my well, most of my conversations with editors and clients is via email, and I feel really comfortable with that. It would it would have been very different if I had to do that in a face-to-face forum because that's something that I probably wouldn't be as comfortable <laughs> with.
0: Well, sure, but you already had an existing relationship. So I think you know over email, you, there was already correspondence there. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. And, and I'm with you. I don't think it really matters too much, um, the setting. Um, mm. I think having the courage to ask is really the biggest thing, because if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. So good for you. Um, And and I want to kind of uh, just kind of clarify something with your spreadsheet. So you and and we'll talk if you're you mentioned that you can that spreadsheet is available for people who want to download it. So I'll ask you for that link a little bit later. But um, was it really kind of a way to maybe get clarity on what you needed to do in order to meet certain obligations and targets for you to be able to make this happen. What was the biggest help or the biggest benefit of, of that spreadsheet?
1: I think initially, I hadn't really thought too much about who I was writing for and what they were paying me because I was still in that mindset of being very happy that people would pay me for my words. So by doing the spreadsheet, I, early in January 2017, I realized goodness they're only paying me a hundred dollars and that's if I want to hit nine thousand dollars this month that's a lot more stories I'm going to have to file for them so you're right it delivered me so much clarity about the types of work I needed to be going after and what was going to be fruitful and what wasn't. And also the work that I enjoy because I still do work that doesn't pay that well, but I, but I love it. It's kind of passion work, but the majority of um, the work I was doing did need to, did need to pay me well. And I did need to be able to do that work quickly. And so that's what that spreadsheet offered me.
0: Love it. All right. So the plot thickens because from what (laughs) I understand last year, you reduced your hours to part-time. And the amazing thing is that you are from what I understand, you are able to maintain the same income level. So I am so curious as to how you're able to do that, to keep the same income level, cut your time by, I guess, roughly half.
1: Yes. Well, this was such a big surprise to me. So at the start of last year, 2018, I dropped back to three, three and a half days a week. My partner started studying, and we kind of rejigged the way we were working things in the house. And I had to think about what my income goals were, and I wanted to take the pressure off because it had been such a big year the year before. I thought realistically, maybe 60 or 70 thousand would be a realistic target to hit. Um, but the but the, the end of last year, I had. 120,000 worth of work commissioned so what changed or how did that happen was that I had more and more editors and clients coming to me with work and so I had built such strong relationships and because when you're working full-time you are available and you are in that headspace of consistently marketing yourself and reaching out to people so I had built some excellent relationships in 2017 and I found that in 2018 those editors and those clients were coming to me with work rather than me pitching them so I was still writing for that uh, magazine brand where I was writing for three editors but I was also writing for a big business that has um, b2b customers and b2c customers and so I started on the b2b side writing articles for them and then the same thing happened. I asked whether anybody else in the business uh, needed writers. Um, that content manager referred me to someone else. And so for the whole of 2018, I was writing for three different content managers within that business. And you know, they're kind of at the moment, they're the dream client for me because they're really pleasant to deal with. They give me very clear briefs. They pay well. And because I'm familiar with the topics, I have a bank of experts that I can call on for, to interview for the um, stories I'm writing. And often those experts prefer to be uh, interviewed via email. There's, it's very, um, It's kind of straightforward content. So often with feature articles, you you really need to sit down and talk to someone to get that colour and depth for a story. These are very practical type of stories that I'm writing. So email is fine. So I can do the work really quickly. Um, And so sometimes for that client, my hourly rate would be $300 or $400 an hour because of those combinations. So I'd become more efficient, but I also had really good relationships with great clients.
0: and, and I, I, so many people just give me the eye roll when I tell them, oh yeah there are so many opportunities where you can your internal hourly rate can be two three four hundred dollars an hour and yes. um, they just completely don't believe it so this is a wonderful example of how that can happen. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah,
1: absolutely. I would have been the, the same, I think. I was reading blogs of some writers saying the same thing and I thought, where are these opportunities? And I think I was waiting. I was waiting for the that kind of silver bullet, that moment of finding a coach or a blog or a website that told me where to find these high-paying clients and then I had this realisation, oh, no, I, I have to wade out into the depths because everybody um, that I knew was happy paddling in the, in the shallows and I was one of them too thinking I don't know where these clients are. But once I went out into the depths, I thought actually there are so many many opportunities. If you're providing quality work and you're good to work with, then there are so many opportunities for freelance writers.
0: I think that's the interesting thing. I'm glad you you expanded on that idea because so many people take it literally and they think that you have to like these things are going to be advertised somewhere or that there's something specific you need to do. And in many cases I really feel that it's about first setting the intention. Hey, I want to have the kind of business where internally I'm earning, you know, two hundred fifty dollars an hour or so. I think it really yeah. starts there. My world started changing when I set those intentions, um, yeah. and then that becomes the compass. That becomes the 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 guidepost that then leads you in the right direction. And and you'll know it when you find it. I don't think it starts mm-hmm. the other way though. Um, I don't think you find them the other way. I think you need to first set the intention and then. Just do all the right things, and then you'll you'll see the opportunities. You'll you'll know it when you when you find them, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Good stuff. So um, the other thing I love about um, how you scale back is uh, this seems like it was driven by a personal decision, right? It sounds like your partner uh, decided to go back to school. So was that kind of the main uh, driver of you deciding to go part time?
1: It was. I. It was yes, and it was. It was a difficult decision because he had supported me, um, and you know we, we've been taken it in turns. I did my PhD and he was the main breadwinner and then and then I was working and then he had said that he wanted to go back and study and I wanted to prioritize that. So ideally I would have kept working full time because I was in a good space and I had lots of momentum, but I knew that this study was really important for him. And so that's a compromise that we reached and I was happy happy to do that. And I think that's the beauty of freelance is that you have that flexibility in your life.
0: Well, what I love about this is that um, I, I've always said constraints are a beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. when you are forced to work with more constraints, um, it's amazing how you'll still find a way to make it work. In fact, yeah. I think they're a blessing in a way because the more time we have, uh, the more we'll squander. Um, yes. And that's everybody. So the fact that you were now were constrained, and I know at the, at the time you thought, okay, well, let me scale back my goals. Um, I think just by having the constraints, you have to become a better steward of your time. You have to become – you're forced to be more strategic um, mm-hmm. and to be more uh, selective of what you took on and who you went after and and all those things. So in a way, um, I think it's it's a great lesson that we all need to learn. It's like, look, don't look at these constraints as a negative thing. Look at them as as, a, as an opportunity.
1: Absolutely. And now I really – I. I think that too, I think that that I'm really grateful for that because it showed me actually what you you can achieve in three, three and a half days Um, because, yes, when you do have limited time, your time becomes very valuable. So you do question the work that you're taking on and how much you want to do it. And I did. I said no to things that the previous year I would have said yes to.
0: Wonderful. All right, so uh, if we can – as we start wrapping up – what advice would you have for freelance writers who want to drive up their income significantly in a short period of time, which is what you did? Can you maybe share you know, three, four ideas that you feel would be beneficial for somebody in that situation?
1: Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing to do is to reignite or nurture those relationships that you already have. I think that's something that lots of writers tend to gloss over is to forget the people that you've already worked for, that maybe you had an assignment for or you wrote a white paper for once and then they kind of fell off the radar and you haven't followed up. So I think going back to those people, reaching out to them, Sending an email just to say hi, commenting on a LinkedIn post. If you come across a newspaper article or a journal article you think they're interested in, little things and authentic ways. I know that word gets used a lot, but I think it's just about genuinely reconnecting with people. Never really, I never, um, my contact with editors and clients, I always try to be as Um, genuine I guess as possible and so if I don't feel like doing it or it doesn't feel real or authentic then I then I don't do it but that to me has been a really valuable source of um, finding work relatively quickly is by reaching out and touching base with people that I've already written for I think also There's a tendency, I definitely have this tendency, is that when you get busy, all your marketing efforts drop off. Um, And so even when I have been drowning in work, I, I still think you have to have an eye on the future months. I don't have any recurring income. I'm not in any retainers. So even though I've got those great relationships with those clients and editors that I spoke about. Each month, my income goes back to zero and I have to work my way back up to 8000 or $10,000 a month. And so I learned really quickly that you have to keep on stoking that fire. You have to keep marketing and prospecting and have that eye of thinking, what happens if these anchor clients fall away? Am I going to be okay? Have I diversified enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, And I think that's quite a simple thing to do. Um, one of the things I think, which is what you mentioned, Ed, is that idea of having constraints. And I think limiting yourself in that way, but I think constraints is a better word, is really important. Um, I think lots of people think about needing to have a niche. And I'm probably one of the few writers that think that you don't necessarily have, um, have to have a niche as a freelance writer. But I think if you're trying to ramp up your earnings in a short amount of time, it's really great to constrain yourself or limit yourself at least initially otherwise your attention can go in so many different directions like you could write about health or you could write about finance i think it's about picking a thing and really diving deep and pursuing that and doing all the things that you need to do sending out lois connecting with people on linkedin researching companies in that area and exhaust that area before moving on to the next one um and I think, I know this sounds a bit funny, but I think there are ways to increase your luck. Um, when I was in, when at the end of 2017, I kept saying to people, I have been so lucky this year. Um, you know, I've been lucky to be on Twitter at just the right time to see an editor's call out, or I've been so lucky to have a freelance friend who recommended me to an editor. And I noticed that the word luck came up again and again. And then I came across... This article, um, I think, I'll have to check for you, but I'm pretty sure it's by Richard Wiseman. It's from the early 2000s, so it's old now, but it's about the science of luck, and I won't go into it, but it's this 10-year, I think it's a 10-year empirical study that talks about the nature of luck and that people can shape their own good fortune, and one of the things that he talks about in that article is that lucky people consistently encounter chance opportunities and take advantage of them, whereas unlucky people don't. Um, And so he gives this example of doing an experiment with people who had identified themselves as either lucky or unlucky. And he asked these two groups of people to look look through a newspaper and count the number of photographs uh, inside the newspaper. And so, and on average, unlucky people took, I think they took about two minutes to count all the photographs, and the lucky people took seconds.
0: Wow. And,
1: and so... Yeah.
0: They became and, very and attuned and, to, 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 to that.
1: And so what happened was on the second page of the newspaper, there was a message in huge block letters that said, stop counting, there are 43 photographs in this newspaper, And this message, I think, took up half the page and it was looking at everybody straight in the face. But the unlucky people were just so focused on what their task was that they missed it, whereas the lucky people had their eyes open. But yes, they were counting photographs, but they were also looking for other opportunities. And so I think for me that has been crucial to um, earning such good money and being in such a good position as a freelance writer is, yes, I'm very focused on what I want to achieve, but I'm also aware that being on LinkedIn with a purpose or being on Twitter, looking for opportunities, chance opportunities has really paid off too.
0: I love that. Uh, This is something I don't think we talk about enough because it doesn't feel very tangible. Um, but it is a huge, huge aspect of the right mindset, and I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I'm a big believer that all kinds of opportunities uh, come your way every single week. Most of us don't see them mm. because we haven't set the intention. We are not. Uh, I don't think we're aligned with what's coming our way, and we're not paying attention. We're not mindful. And um, I, I love that you mentioned that, such, a, such an important element of, uh, of, of growing and, and finding success. Uh, I'm curious, Lindy, you, you've been very open about sharing how much you're, you're making as a freelancer. Um, and I'm curious what inspires you to not only share that, but share your, your story, how you, how you did it, um, what you feel is essential to um, succeeding and growing quickly as a, as a writer.
1: Mm, I'm, I'm, I have to say that I'm not someone who is very comfortable talking about money. I know that must sound very funny after we've been talking about money and when you read my blog as well I'm talking really openly about how much I earn. But I do think it's important to change the conversation around money and I remember listening to Jennifer Gregory on your podcast talking about how much she earned and how she felt that writers should be transparent or at least start to talk about money because actually I feel like it's questions where all writers are throwing around to each other, how much should I charge, is this a fair rate, Um, should I work for free, we're talking about money all the time. and so I started a little blog at the start of 2017 with the idea that I wanted to be helpful and useful to other freelance writers. And I didn't set out to prove that you could earn a great living um, and I wasn't sure it was possible. And I just started talking about my income spreadsheet and people were interested in it. And the first few, at the end of each month, I do um, a monthly roundup and I talk about how much I've been commissioned. And at the the start of 2017, I was really coy about sharing it. I just wasn't sure that I wanted to put myself out there. I'm naturally quite a private person. I, I wasn't sure of the implications of talking about money so openly. And so I kind of skirted around the issue the first few months and talked about hitting my income target or not hitting it but i never said figures and then i realized more and more as the year went on that i was talking about yes you can earn a really good income from writing and i thought i have to put um my money where my mouth is because for some people earning a good income from freelance writing might be two thousand dollars a month but for others that figure much much might be much more. And so I felt like I needed to be transparent. And so I started putting um, what I earned there. And I have to say, people, I get emails every week from people saying how much they appreciate it. I still, before I press post, I still have a bit of a mini heart attack about (laughs) doing it because it feels really exposing to do that.
0: Well, uh, that, that does take a lot of courage. And, you know, I know that I would be fearful about, um, maybe revealing too much or, you know, is there a risk here? Am I people going to see me differently? Uh, what kind of criticism would I get? I was never taught to, to just, you know, disclose this information. Um, Uh, So, of course, I got to ask you, where can we take a look at the stuff? So where can we read your blog? Where can we look at your monthly reports? And, of course, that spreadsheet that you mentioned earlier uh, that was so helpful to you, where can we uh, download a copy of that?
1: Yep. So the best place to go to is The Freelancer's Year. So www.thefreelancersyear.com. And you'll find everything there. And just to search for the spreadsheet, if you just go to the little search icon and type in Excel spreadsheet, that'll bring it up for you.
0: Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to include a link uh, to your to your blog in the show notes. And uh, Lindy, this is this has been a very inspirational conversation. I just uh, really appreciate your openness and your genuine spirit and um, i'm so so happy for you and what you've been able to accomplish it uh, just yeah just makes me smile
1: oh thank you and i really do i do have to say thank you because as i said your podcast was so instrumental in me starting this kind of freelance journey where i felt like i can make a living from it so thank you
0: Oh, uh, it's I'm I'm happy that uh, that it was helpful, and uh, I wish you all the best. And again, thanks for for coming on the
1: show. Thank you so much. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at B2BLauncher.com.